Moms, I'm your host, Wendy Sparks. Today, my guest is Suzanne Anderson, mother of Kyle Anderson, who plays with the Memphis Grizzlies. This is going to be a great episode. So let's bring Suzanne on the show. I feel so blessed to have you with me today, Suzanne. Thank you. Thank you so much for wanting to be a courtside mom with me. I'm honored to be here. It's so nice to be recognized. So we are here to talk about your awesome son, Kyle. So take us back to the beginning where basketball started for him. At what age did he start? I believe that Kyle started shooting a basketball before he could walk. He would sit underneath his little tykes basketball hoop with a regular size basketball and try to shoot. And that went on for probably three or four months until one day, I remember I kind of looked over and he was standing up and he shot the ball. He had no other incentive to walk other than to put the ball in the hoop. (laughs) So as he got older, I started to notice that he really did not want to play with other toys. We had cars and trains and other gadgets for him to play with. And he loved this tennis ball. The tennis ball was his heart and soul. (sighs) So then I started to notice that, um, you know, Christmas came and the children were opening their gifts. Kyle is the youngest of five. The children were opening their gifts and he was playing with the basketball. He didn't, he wasn't in anything else we might've purchased for him. I'm thinking, wow, I could have saved a few hundred dollars here by just getting tennis balls. (laughs) That's awesome. <laughs> and he decided, I think his dad has video footage where by the time he was 16 or 17 months, he was making five or six shots in a row on his little tykes basketball. And when he wasn't doing that, he was throwing the tennis ball against the wall to see where it would land. So I started to think, okay, you know, maybe this isn't a good thing. Let me talk to the pediatrician about this next time I go, because he really had no other interests. I even took him to a train track and I was like, Kyle, the train's coming. And he's like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Really no interest, no interest. So by the time he was three, he had named the dining room chairs his dad was a high school basketball coach and he had players on his team. So he had named the dining room chairs, the members on his dad's basketball team. And he would set them up strategically so that he could dribble through them and shoot the basket. So, like I said, I, I had never seen this before with my other children and I didn't know if it was normal or if it was okay. The pediatrician assured me that he was fine. And he just grew from there. He, he, he loved the game. He loved to watch. He got to watch Michael Jordan play the Knicks when he was four. And it, it just took off from there. He, he never wanted to do anything else but play basketball. Wow. Hmm. So <laughs> I don't know if I should ask this, then how important was basketball to him growing up? Like, did he have this innate desire to play? 
Yes, I will definitely <laughs> say that. And when I try to have the logical conversation that all moms try to have with their child, you know, Kyle, this may not work out for you. You know, we need to focus on some other things. And he looked at me and said, what do you want me to be? A science teacher? And I was like, whoa, where did that come from? You know, it was almost like he practiced it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I just said, I just have to, I have to, you know, believe in him because he, he so believes in himself, you know, so I, I, I have to reinforce his beliefs that he's going to be a basketball player. And I tried not to tell a lot of my friends because, you know, I would hear from other people, not necessarily my friend, you know, Suzanne has hoop dreams, you know, this, yeah. this isn't really going to play out, you know, but I, I couldn't, I could not, not believe in him. That's how I felt about it. So with that, you know, we went on this um, AAU journey across the country, pretty much um, whenever, wherever there was a tournament, whatever time there was a tournament, however, we had to get there. We had to leave at three or four o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. And again, it was all a push to get him to where he believed he should be. I love how as a mom, you just stuck with it and you stuck with him through that process because what you said was right. A lot of parents just don't see the end goal. They don't see the vision. You know, when we, I remember watching NBA myself and mm -hmm. it was just like, it was entertainment. It didn't dawn on me then that this is an actual profession. Like they actually do this. Mm -hmm. This is a job for me. It was just like the NBA, it's entertainment. So now me raising my kids, you know what I mean? And then when Cam was like, yeah, I, I want to play in the NBA one day. It's like, okay, great. That's nice. But don't forget. And, you know, you push your child to do other things. And after I, mm -hmm. I realized his desire, like, well, that was much older than than Kyle it wasn't out of the womb so <laughs> but then <laughs> at that point I'm like okay now it's time to stick through it so it, it's it's nice to see that you know you for you you saw that this is what he really wants and as his mom I'm going to try to help him make that happen so tell us about his high school years though he first went to Patterson Catholic in New Jersey and then to St. Anthony High where he played for the legendary Bobby Hurley Sr., and he was on a team that won on a two-year-plus winning streak. So what were those games mm -hmm. like to attend at St. Anthony's High School? We wanted Kyle to go to St. Anthony's um, for his freshman year, but I don't think the universe wanted him to do that. I think he had some lessons to learn at Patterson Catholic, right. and of course, logistically I'm like how am I going to get him to Patterson Catholic every day it's 20 miles in the wrong direction in you know a major urban city outside of New York City traffic is a nightmare I just remember that freshman year thinking oh my god how are we going to do this for four years I'm fortunate like I said Kyle is the youngest of five so I had another son that was working from home um, we would drive him out in the morning and then his dad would pick him up at night but it was such an awesome experience for him to go to Patterson Catholic. Um, I think because he had played AAU with the players, you know, he was, he, he knew people there. He had teammates there. The only game that Patterson Catholic lost was to St. Anthony's. Oh, <laughs> and that kind of stuck in his head. 
So when we received the awful news, and I remember the day he called me at work and he said, Ma, there's a bunch of reporters outside. It was his junior, his, um, I'm sorry, sophomore year. And he said, there's a bunch of reporters outside. I think Patterson Catholic is closing. And I still said, no, no, honey, they're going to have a pancake breakfast. You know, we're going to pay all our dues. You know, it's going to be fine. Don't worry <laughs> about it. pancakes, Suzanne. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, pancake breakfast. I didn't realize at the time. Everybody in New York you know, like one pancake and save the school. <laughs> the Catholic, you know, the Catholic archdiocese was, you know, was in such duress about these, um, yeah. these high schools. I just, I just didn't think about it at the time. And we got the news that the school was closing. And I remember he went upstairs to his bedroom and he came back about 10 minutes later. And he said, I think I'm going to be a friar. And I said, I think that's a good choice for you. He was a little bit nervous about going to everything he'd heard about the legendary Bob Hurley about yeah. the, you know, like running the drills with the t-shirts in their hands, cleaning the floor and everything. You know, he was a little bit nervous about that because even though his coaches at Patterson Catholic pushed him, he knew that he was in for it with, with coach Hurley. Right. So coach Hurley was lucky to, I'm sorry, Kyle was fortunate to land at St. Anthony's. And I feel like coach Hurley felt the same way about him. And we also got um, Miles Mack, who was a junior um, at the time. So his junior and senior year, I'm sorry, Miles was a senior. They went on to St. Anthony's and won every game. He, he went 65 and 0. Again, the only game he ever lost in high school was to St. Anthony's. And then I'm not going to, you know, say the old can't beat him, join him, but that's basically what happened. Yeah. And his um, junior year, they got to play St. Patrick's of Elizabeth. Um, it was a mythical national high school championship. St. Pat's was ranked number one, and St. Anthony was ranked number two. I remember having such a stomach ache that day. Like I could not eat anything. Every, everyone kept saying, do you want something to eat? And I was like, no, I don't want anything to eat. The day that morning when I drove him to school, he said, ma, I'm not going to lose. This is my shoulda, woulda, coulda game. Nice. And I'm not going to lose this game. And Wendy, when I tell you, he literally willed himself to win this game that, that's just how it was how and works. um Michael Gilquist was the star at the time and Kyle managed to hold him with his defense and you know they they just played an awesome game and I I just remember like it was probably like the happiest moment of his life you know winning that game wow. so St. Anthony's was a wonderful experience for him you know Bob Hurley and his wife his daughter Melissa his sons you know that they're a legend and to get to play for an empire like that was truly, truly a wonderful experience for Kyle and kind of set him up for the next career. Absolutely. So he played in the McDonald's All-American, Nike Hoop Summit, Jordan Brand Classic game. So let's talk about those conversations you had around the dinner table. It was kind of at the time he had already um, committed to UCLA. Mm -hmm. um, I remember when he was about, um, I think he was eight at the time. And I don't remember the player, but they had been in McDonald's All-American. And he, they gave him the shorts. And those shorts, those McDonald's All-American shorts, like you might as well have given him a million dollars. Because he knew at that point, at eight years old, I'm going to be a McDonald's All-American. Like he, he knew this is what I'm working for. I, I want to be a McDonald's All-American. 
So to, to go to Chicago and actually sit there in the arena. And again, like I, like I tell myself, like he willed all of this, you know, he, so many children have this dream to be a McDonald's all American. And we're sitting in the stadium, um, going out to this Nike summit. I'm on the plane and I'm like, we just played in the McDonald's all American game. And here we go. We're going on a flight. I mean, you can't help, but be excited for your son Absolutely. To, to, to go to those three platforms and play. He also had, um, he had broken his thumb and I knew he was playing, you know, injured. And we really didn't want to, we didn't want to tell anyone because he felt he could play through it. And I always say to myself, you know, people think, oh, you know, you're so lucky. No, luck has very little to do with it because these kids work hard. And for Kyle to play, you know, with his his thumb, like I remember him like screaming in pain during the Nike summit because he was in so much pain. And shortly after the, um, the Jordan classic, he had surgery in preparation to go out to UCLA. And I thought like, I, I, how do you play with a broken thumb? Like it's the most important finger. Yeah. And he never, he never said anything about it. He never told anyone. He, He just forged on. Absolutely. Because for him, it was like so important that he just continue on with his dream. So Mm-hmm. With everything that was going around at that time, like how did you keep him level-headed? I had a lot of help from his siblings. You know, <laughs> they never, we never let anyone's head get too big that they couldn't fit in a car. So I definitely had a lot of help from his siblings. You know, his his dad was there um, pressuring him, you know, to, to do the right thing. The one thing that Kyle had to learn was someone's always watching you off the court and on the court. Absolutely. And we, we instilled that in his head. You know, you could, you could do something wrong and someone can report it back to UCLA or, you know, it, it goes into the newspaper. You, you have to have good character all the time, not on the court, not off the court, just all the time. And that was a lesson that Kyle took to heart. And always, always, I'm not saying he was the perfect child. I don't believe anyone is, but he definitely realized. And I told him, I said, I went, I read Wayne Gretzky's dad's book. His dad told him, (laughs) someone's always watching you. Always, always. I said, don't talk back to the refs. Don't talk back to the, you know, people in the stands. Always try to have good character. And I believe he was, he was very successful with that. And I, I remember one of the coaches that was recruiting him said, you know, we don't really want a whole bunch of nonsense. You know, this is really a competitive field. You know, we want good families just because we don't want to have bad press. Absolutely. And it was a conversation I had with my kids, not only good character for Kyle, but good character for the entire family. It just makes everything easier. Oh, for sure. So take us through the college recruitment process, the East Coast homebody uh-huh. going to California. Again, he told me when he was 12 that he was going to go to UCLA. I never thought he would go through with it. I said, there's no way he's going to leave me and go 3,000 miles across country. (laughs) Like, this is just not going to happen. But he had a pack with Shabazz Muhammad and Jordan Adams that they were going to play together. And as we got closer, we narrowed it down to five teams. Um, 
you know, I kept thinking, you know, he's, he's not going to go to UCLA. He's definitely not going to go to UCLA. He's not going to go to the West coast, but in my heart, I knew that's what he wanted to do. Right. And once we went out on the visit, I felt that UCLA was probably one of the most beautiful places on earth. You know, I don't know if they keyed the lavender <laughs> sense of what was going on. <laughs> I just remember standing there, you know, they, they were building the, the um, I don't remember the name of the arena at the time, I'm sorry, but it was so, it was just such a beautiful place. And Kyle was so comfortable there. And I had never been to LA. This was my first trip because I was busy doing AAU t- uh, tournaments. Right. So I had never been to LA, but I just, I saw it in his face and I knew that he was going to make this decision. Um, I remember when he called Ben Howland and um, I remember Ben Howland screaming. He was barbecuing in his backyard and I remember him screaming. And I said, this, you know, this is just awesome. This, this, this was just meant to be. He wanted to be a point guard. He wanted to play point guard in college. Magic Johnson was one of his heroes, you know, and, and UCLA was the perfect fit for him. They, they welcomed him. So did you attend his UCLA games? And if so, what were they like for you? And in your opinion, how did the Bruins fans receive him? Um, It was such an experience. I never, I think I was younger at the time because I took this fright the other night and I couldn't believe, like I used to take the red eye and go to work. (laughs) I'm not quite sure how I did that because I took the red eye the other night and I slept for like a week. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, I, I, like I truly don't understand it. I must have been so excited. The adrenaline must yeah. have been, you know, like going, yeah, you know, wild sure. because I, I never really felt as tired as I did when I took that flight the other night. But um, no, the fans, the, the fans embraced him. Um, the His first, his freshman year, we won the Pac-12 um, divisional championship. Mm-hmm. And then the next year we won the Pac-12 tournament where we beat Arizona and we were in Las Vegas at the time. And Kyle had a, he had a little chip on his shoulder because like, he kind of felt like he was the PAC 12 player of the year and they had given the award to someone else. And I remember him saying, I'm the PAC 12 player of the year. And I'm thinking, okay, Kyle, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cause now we're on a bigger platform, That's you know, right. and you're, you're still making, you're, you're still willing yourself into these positions. So <laughs> We, you know, to play Arizona in Las Vegas, we were totally outnumbered. There were, you know, so many more Arizona fans than there were Bruins fans. And, um, you know, everywhere we went, you know, it was like bear down, bear down. And I'm like, wait, what's going on here? Because I, I had never been in a venue, you know, like that. And these Arizona fans were serious about this game. So I'm thinking, you know, like, what are our chances here? You know, like, what are, what are our chances and again, you know, we, they, the, they played a great game. Jordan Adams, you know, what we call made the money shot, which was the shot of the decade and put them ahead. And then they scored a few more baskets, but that was huge for Kyle to Kyle and the team to win the PAC 12 tournament. It was huge, huge. So do you remember them playing UNLV? Cause it was around the same time that my son was at UNLV. So they would have. Oh. <laughs> So I want to hear your comments about the running ribbles. <laughs> I don't remember the game. I'm not sure if I Good attended, no. <laughs> you know, like it was always for me. It was like the games, like when I flew, like when I flew to um, 
I think I flew to Portland and then I realized that the game was like 60 miles away and I only had like two hours to get there and it was pouring rain. I'm like, I'm just gonna stay at the hotel and watch the game and wait for Kyle to get here. Cause yeah. you know, it, it was always, Pac-12 is a, is a great conference but the cities are really, really hard to get to. Yeah. Beautiful, I, I love them. <laughs> but the cities are incredibly difficult to get to. I will never forget the times, you know, that I, I did manage to drive. I drove to Stanford. Right. And then um, I landed in San Francisco and I, and I drove to Stanford. And like Kyle just looked up in the stands and he was just so happy to, you know, to see me. Aww. So a, a, a great, a great time in the Pac-12. Yeah. I'll never say anything bad about that conference. <laughs> So in 2013, he initially decided to declare for the draft, but he later changed his mind and went back to school for another year. So the listeners, I want the listeners to understand. So um, can you explain that process? Can you tell how he tested the waters and then what factor made him decide to wait? Um, the NBA is definitely a man's game. You know, unless you're you know, a superstar like Zion Williams, it's definitely, um, it's, it's a man's game. I think you really come into your, um, MBA professional body, probably at 24, 25. I'm, I'm not saying that that's for everyone, but we definitely felt for Kyle. He needed, he needed a few more years, um, of development. And although, I mean, everyone wants to be, to go in the first round, of course, for a guaranteed contract. You know, do you run the risk of, you know, going second round? Not that there's anything wrong with that, but, you know, you, you want to aim for the, um, for this, for the first round. And I think, what if we would have missed winning the PAC 12 tournament, you know, like what a mistake that would have been. So we were, I was happy that he stayed. I was definitely happy that he stayed the other, the, you know, one more year. Right. So he thought that he better just develop more and have a, a better chance in 2014. And also um, coach Howland had left and now um, coach Alford was there and coach Alford, he, he was a Kyle fan, yeah. you know, and we knew that Kyle was going to do well with coach Alford. Good. He wanted to, he wanted that point guard position yeah. and coach Alfred was going to let him run it. So I want to give a special shout out to color clean soap for the amazing care package. They are keeping hand washing fun for everyone, especially our kids. After being in the gym or out on the playground all day, I know how difficult it is to get our kids to wash their hands and color clean has come up with a fun way to do it. Kim Dre, you best be listening. Check out ColorCleanSoap.com and use the promo code CSMOMS for 10% off your first order. Happy hand washing. So as a mom, running around with our kids daily and bringing them to their activities, practices, and games, it's just normal for us as moms. What was it like once he left for college and he had to do everything on his own, whether the cooking, bringing himself to the practices, to his classes, et cetera? Like, was it hard for you to let go? And what was it like for you to parent him long distance? I did not realize that UCLA was such a commuter school. And I didn't realize, you know, that the children went home on the weekends. So 
the first few weekends when he said, you know, like I'm here by myself, of course I wanted to get on a plane and, yeah. you know, fly <laughs> out there. <laughs> but I realized I couldn't. So, you know, we, we you know, we kind of talked our way through it. He had a, um, a Patterson Catholic and players um, friend in Geo out in, who was attending USC. So, you know, he, he, he did well, he did well. He probably didn't eat the most healthiest foods. And we kind of laugh about that at the time. Cause he was, he clearly was pudgy, you know, his <laughs> freshman, freshman 20 yeah, yeah. year, you know, he definitely was not eating the health. He discovered all the Mexican restaurants, you know, like all the sushi restaurants and really no one was, um, you know, we, no one was really focused on him getting the most nourishing meals so that you know that was a setback and there was some other funny things that happened he had left his window open one time and a bunch of spiders bit him so we went to a game and his knee was all swollen just from these spiders and I'm like well what'd you leave your window open he was like ma we leave our window open in North Jersey <laughs> I didn't know I couldn't leave my window open you know there were there were funny things to learn along the way but I remember like they had his, his knee wrapped up in plastic because he had all these spider bites. And I was like, what's going on in the dorms? Like, I don't want to go to your dorm room and find out, yeah, you know, yeah. but what's, <laughs> like, I never want to go there ever. <laughs> so the second, the second year he lived off campus and I think he was a little bit more comfortable, but I never wanted to see that apartment either. My two daughters, well, my, my youngest daughter had moved out and then my oldest daughter moved out there also. And they did all the housekeeping for him. Oh, nice. And yeah, so um, it was, I, I would say it was a smoother right. year After that because party. they were there, yeah. you know, to help him with a lot of the housekeeping and stuff. The spider, the spider bites took me for a loop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> you know, letting our children go so far, you know, like you said, sometimes you're like, I cannot understand their thought process. Like my son too, he, he, I mean, I'm from Montreal, Canada, right? So mm -hmm. he went to UNLV. Oh my gosh, mm -hmm. that's a six hour flight and three right. hours behind in time. Right. So it was right. just like, right. for me, it was so different. And I did have to parent him through the phone, you know what I mean? And tell him, mm -hmm. well, don't do this. Make sure you're eating this. And he was like, okay, okay, okay. And he probably did mm -hmm. none of it. Probably, probably not. <laughs> he probably didn't listen to anything I asked him to do, which I just, now I look back at it and I laugh because I know when I would tell him, make sure you're eating healthy. And he's like, okay, whatever was put in front of him was whatever he ate and it ended there. There was nothing mm -hmm. to it until later on, right? So I just laugh when you say that because you just don't know. So, and unfortunately, his freshman year, we had to go through a um, NCAA investigation. And I felt, I felt it was very unjust because Kyle was away from his family at the time. Yeah. And we weren't really there to reinforce him, reinforce to him that we did nothing wrong right. in this process. We followed everything to the T. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there was some bad press in the newspapers about he wouldn't be eligible for the first game. And he was, he was really sad about it, you know, and his dad and I kept telling him we did nothing wrong. You know, they can't prove anything. Mm -hmm. He was guilty by association, but technically, you know, there was nothing that they could prove. And I didn't appreciate, you know, the few interviews that he had to do without us. We, I, like, I didn't think it was fair because it, you know, 
I mean, I'm not a fan of the NCAA. I make that quite clear, but I also think it's they they racially profile the athletes, and it it caused it caused a lot of um, unnecessary tension. He got cleared like maybe the day before the season started to yeah. play. Yeah. And, and, and it's tough because he's he's a kid. He's a minor, right? So mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. these questions come at them, and they're so honest, mm-hmm. the kids, right? They're like, well, it's this. But sometimes it's twisted or it's used a different way, and it just doesn't end up being mm-hmm. to their benefit. And it's just, I, to me, too, I, I don't like when when these minors are approached and ask all these questions. And, and you know what I mean? Like at this point, a parent should be there. Or a coach right. or somebody. Somebody right. has to be there with them when they're getting grilled about all these things mm-hmm. that they're thought to have done or said or yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm not a fan. My my daughter worked for Bloomingdale's and she bought him the um MCM backpack with her employee discount as a gift. And they asked us to provide a receipt for it. Yeah. And I thought, what kind of nonsense is this? You know? Like you, you honestly think that someone else gave him a backpack? Yeah. You know, we worked hard for our money. Yeah. We're, we're a middle class family. Yeah. My my daughter bought this for him as a gift, and you you want to see a receipt? I, I like I I truly didn't understand it, and I felt like there were other members on the team that were driving Jaguars, and they didn't have to provide receipts. And the, yeah, yeah, show me where you got the money for the Jaguar. Like really? Yeah, right? No, that that I agree with. That's. It's wrong at all costs, right? Mm-hmm. So when, you know, like I remember I drove, I, I was in Arizona with him, you know, and I already knew the rules. Like they couldn't pay for a meal for me. I got, I knew that I was paying for my own meal, but I also couldn't sit with him. Yeah. You know, I had to sit at a separate table and I'm like, but I'm paying. No, you have, you have to sit over here. And I just thought, you know, the NCA, like they really need to, you know, come into the 21st century and join us and what's going on here. You know, I'm, I'm not, I never really understood where they were coming from with all of this. Yeah. No, but I'm glad that you're speaking out to that because a lot of people, a lot of people don't know and they don't know the processes. They just think that our kids mm-hmm. go to college and they go to the NBA or whatever and that's it. And sometimes like, you're hit oh, no. so much adversity that you, and sometimes it, it's, it's um, not even justified. And that's what mm-hmm. makes it worse because it can affect a player's career or their path. And sometimes it can deter the player and they're like, you know what, just forget it because they're making it difficult for me. And sometimes it could be true, but you know what I mean? A lot of times it's just not. And it's just sad because the players get caught up in it and they don't understand. Mm-hmm. They just want to play. They're like, I just want to get back on the court and go play a game. I, I don't understand what all this is about. Like I did nothing wrong. Right. So, right. But I'm glad you so he, I, you're speaking out about it. Right. He would have been heartbroken. Like if he didn't, if the season started and he wasn't eligible to play, you know, he, I mean, that I don't think other people could recuperate from something like that. So it was definitely, I, I thought it was very unjust. Yeah. No, but thank you for speaking out to that. So mm-hmm. moving forward, take us to draft day from start to finish. The time you opened your eyes on <sighs> June 26, 2014, to the moment they closed in the early hours of the morning. So um, Kyle had gone on. Um, I guess they're tryouts or, you know, shoot arounds, or I'm not, I'm not quite sure what they're called. Some interviews, you know, he had, um, he had gotten his suit and his tie and everything. And I remember saying, Oh my God, he looks so cute. <laughs> <laughs> everyone's going to want him. Everyone, everyone's going to want Kyle. 
and we were not going to um, we were not going to Radio City Music Hall. You know, we kind of decided that we were going to do our own thing with our own friends and family. Right. So we kind of um, backed off. You never really know on draft day, I guess, unless you're, you know, like in the top 10, like where, where you're going to fall in this. So, you know, we were kind of happy that we were not like televised, I'll say. Yeah. So um, my dear loving friend, Billy offered us, Billy is uh, Crystal McCurry's friend. He offered us his lounge for us to have this draft night. And we were kind of excited. His dad and I probably invited way too many people because I do remember the fire marshal being there telling us that some people had to leave. <laughs> but we had the TV screens up. You know, everyone was super, super excited. My mom was there. And um, again, it's, I always say it's a great opportunity to have a grandchild and go through this process with her because my mom's a, a huge basketball fan. She never misses a game. So she was sitting there and then we started to slide. <laughs> so, you know, we, we were at 14 and Kyle wasn't picked yet. And we were at 15 and Kyle wasn't picked yet. And we were going down. I remember thinking to myself, this isn't what we planned. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. There was, you know, negotiations are going on behind the scene. At one point, Kyle stepped out and tried to regroup. And I got the phone call saying the Spurs are going to take Kyle. Wow. And it was so bizarre because Kyle loved the Spurs. He loved them. I, when Wendy, when I tell you, I would tell him at 11 or 12 o'clock at night, turn off that TV and go to bed. And he would say, mom, watching the Spurs. <laughs> I don't sleep till the Spurs sleep. Yeah. <laughs> but at that point. They had, they had so many games on TNT. I was like, I've never seen a, a team with so many televised games. Like what is going on? Mom, watching the Spurs. That's amazing. So for him to go the 30th pick, and I, I just remember hearing in my head, what do you call the last student of medical school? Doctor. Yeah. Okay. We're at number 30. We're in. We got a guaranteed contract. And then I said, wait, where is San Antonio exactly? Like, I, I, I had no clue. Right, like, wait, right. where is San Antonio, Texas? Like, let me look on the map here and try to figure all this out. We were, I mean, I couldn't tell you. I know there's a few YouTube videos. But when I tell you, like, the Cove Lounge shook when, when they called his name. Like, the Cove Lounge shook. He, he was emotional. We were all emotional, of course. He was, he was emotional. And I thought draft night, to have such a great experience, it was so much torture for those two, almost two and a half hours, you know, waiting, 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 waiting. His agent did a great job. Um, again, friends and family were there from all over. His siblings couldn't control themselves. You know, we, we, were, we were going to the NBA. It was a dream come true. Yeah. You know, that day also was my son's draft day. So it's crazy to oh. think that we were both in the city, in the same city mm -hmm. at the same mm -hmm. time, supporting our son's dreams. The only difference mm -hmm. is, is that we had a different narrative where my son right. didn't get drafted. 
So mm-hmm. I understand when you're saying that two and a half hours, you know, you're waiting mm-hmm. and you're waiting because you're anticipating. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. you're anticipating. Okay, he's gonna go. He's gonna go here. He's gonna go there. Every number to a parent, right? It's it's just great to have your child there. However, like you're saying, you still want to be the top thirty. And there, there's so much analysis that goes into it that a lot of parents don't understand. You know, a lot of um, I'll say new parents coming into the NBA mm-hmm. who who needs that position. What position does he actually play? What position has he played? Do we need that position? You know, we already have that position filled. What kind of person is he? Did we interview? I mean, there's so many things that go into it. The agents are, you know, behind the scenes, like, you know, plugging away for their, for, for this spot. And there's so few spots and, and the competition is, is brutal. Yep. You imagine all the kids that enter the draft and you imagine there's 60 mm-hmm. players that are chosen, right? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. First and second round. Mm-hmm. So like you're saying, you mm-hmm. have to have somebody behind you that's really pushing you because like you said, there's only so many spots, so many teams have so many, um, you know what I mean? Open positions available. What do mm-hmm. you do? Right. So, and I, yeah, I completely understand what you're saying because we went to the same narrative, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to get our son to the forefront. I think that he couldn't have landed at a better spot than 30th with the San Antonio Spurs to go through the development years with coach Popovich, with Kawhi Leonard, with Tim Duncan. I mean, it, it, it was, it was perfect. This, this was where he was supposed to be. However, he had to get there. If he had to be the 30th pick, this, this was the team. And this is where he was going to develop. And I also felt it was such a great introduction to the NBA to have the Spurs organization to learn from. Right. You know, it's, um, they, they taught me everything. Like the, when Kyle was, um, when Kyle went to Memphis, it was such an easy transition because I had come from such a great organization with the Spurs. That's how I felt. So you actually moved to San Antonio with Kyle. So was it your plan all along to go with him no matter what city he he got drafted to? I kind of felt, and his dad and I probably disagreed on this, but who's going to take better care of you than your mom? You know, and I kind of feel like there was a huge transition for Kyle to make at the time. Um, I had just sold a business that I was running. I, I did um, construction for in, in New York City and I had sold a business. So I just, it was just the right timing for me to go out to San Antonio. And it, initially I was just really going to set him up, right. but I wanted to also learn how things were done. I knew at some point, you know, Kyle would want to take over his finances. You know, maybe he would pay someone else to help him with his, you know, household responsibilities, but I needed to find out how things were done so that later on when someone else was doing it, I would know how it was done. That's, that's how I felt. So I took my project management skills to San Antonio. Kyle always laughs, you know, because I brought pots and pans on the plane with me. (laughs) Because they had none in Texas, apparently. (laughs) I didn't know if they were riding horseback. Like I that's the I didn't best. know. I didn't know if we were going to have to get a horse. Like, I didn't know what was happening. She says we have it all in Jersey, so yeah. I'm bringing my car, and my pots, just in case. That's the best. 
<laughs> and when I got there, I was amazed, you know, how <laughs> what a great city it was and, and, you know, how progressive everyone was. You know, there were very few horses. And I was like, wow, <laughs> there's everything here that there was in New Jersey. It was just amazing. <laughs> oh, my God, that's the best guy. I didn't have to carry these heavy pots with me. So... <laughs> That I had to pay like an extra hundred dollars yeah. for because they were say to you. too heavy in my suitcase. <laughs> you could have just gone to Walmart, Suzanne. So, so, so tell me, do you remember, of course you do, his NBA debut? Like were you yes. present or were you watching yes. from, a par, from afar? Um, I definitely remember the um, his NBA debut the first time he's, you know, got out on the court. I remember they almost called a technical because he didn't have his jersey in his uh, shorts. Um, again, he's out there on the court with legends, you know, with Tim Duncan, yeah. who there was a poster in his bedroom for a long period of time. I was not that familiar. Like I said, I, I was a Knicks fan growing up. My yeah. dad was a Knicks fan. I, I really didn't know that much about San Antonio, except they were on TNT a lot. And, you know, when I started to look at the other players on the team and there wasn't a seat in the house the game was completely sold out you know the the, the amount of fan support that San Antonio had and they were not used to having you know a, a, a new draft person they usually sent their new new people like to the G League right. or someplace else you know so I think they were, you know, like, I think they were like, just get out of our way, rookie. Yeah. You know, you, you don't even belong here. <laughs> you should, you should be in Austin. <laughs> just get out of our way. And there was, you know, Kyle was young, you know, lanky, probably a little stomach. You know, we had traveled, um, we had traveled to Austin. Uh, I think Kyle, Kyle went to the G League in January because Kawhi Leonard was hurt. So I remember sitting in, we had an apartment at the time, and I remember sitting there thinking, let me understand this. Kyle is playing behind Kawhi Leonard, and I knew that Kawhi was scoring like 30, 35 points a game. I knew that he was the defensive player of the year twice. I knew they had just won a championship, and I'm like, he's never going to get on the court. Like, he's never going to get any playing time. <laughs> never. And unfortunately, Kawhi got hurt. And Kyle was thrust into the position. And I remember a few times looking at Coach Popovich, Popovich's face, you know, and thinking, whew, this is going to be rough. Again, I couldn't imagine a better place for Kyle to develop than, you know, under Coach Pop's tutelage. So what was it like for you to see him develop his NBA career firsthand? Because you were there. I mean, you saw him play between the G League and the NBA. So how did you support him? Well, we went to the G League, um, which, again, is another fantastic organization. Um, Kyle never really wanted to live in Austin. Like, he, he couldn't – we had a, a – Kyle was thinking about, how am I going to get back to San Antonio? I'm not moving to Austin. It's not <laughs> happening. So we made the trek every day for practice. Um, it would take us an hour and a half to two hours to go from San Antonio to Austin. It was funny because we had a puppy and the puppy loved to jump in the car with us and drive to Austin. And, um, you know, Kyle did really, really well up there when they needed him, when someone was injured, you know, he would fly with the team, but you know, his, his heart was in San Antonio. And I think he was saying, 
I just, I need to get back to San Antonio. You know, like I want to, I want to, I love the G league, but I don't belong here. Yeah. I want to, I want to be with San Antonio. And I, again, like I just had to, I had to keep believing in him that this was going to happen, that, you know, the G league was not where he was going to be for the entire season. Absolutely. It was a great place for him to develop. Yeah. I didn't like it because the games were over at 11 and we had to drive home at, you know, two o'clock in the morning right. on 35. It wasn't a pleasant experience, but it was, it was a great organization. The coaches that he had, there were wonderful. They've gone on to, you know, wonderful NBA coaching careers. So. So compare the NBA in game experience and how did it differ from the college games? Oh my goodness. Those college athletes play for the love of the game. That's how I felt. They played their hearts out with the concept that they may never, ever have an NBA career that they just played and they played so hard. And that, that's what I saw in them. They, they just wanted to, to move on, you know, and, and win games. And they were, they were thirsty for wins. The NBA is a lot more, um, I don't want to say commercialized, but you know, it's, it's a business. It's, 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 it's a big, you know, money-making business and college you're playing for the love of basketball. That's how I felt about it. Yeah. So during this time, um, you and Kyle went to China. So take us to that amazing summer trip. How did it come to be (sighs) like reuniting with your family? We Kyle, UCLA had traveled to Beijing and Shanghai um, Kyle's freshman, the summer of before his freshman year. And they were going to play three games and we were sitting in a restaurant and Kyle said, mom, you look like these people, you look like these people. And he probably planted a seed in my mind that Mm -hmm. these are my relatives. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm from here. I could, I could possibly find them. It was kind of, you know, like in the back of my head, I could possibly find my relatives here. I had no idea what city, so many people, but I, I kind of thought it was possible. So when I was in San Antonio, I had a lot more time because Kyle was on the road. I just did ancestry.com. Nothing, China doesn't have any records in there, you know, so it was more or less, let me try and trace the Jamaican side and maybe I'll find something. Um, my uncle was about to pass away and I kept asking um, my other uncle, ask him, ask him where our grandfather's from, ask him where our grandfather's from. And no, today's not a good day. He's not feeling well. Today's not a good day. Today's not a good day. And then he said, again, by the gift of God, tell Susie that we're from Shenzhen. And I had that little hint. That's all I needed. That's all I needed. Shenzhen. So I started, you know, like I I started going back again with my Jamaican relatives and I was fortunate enough to meet a friend, Paula Madison, who had the same exact story that I had. Her grandfather came from Shenzhen to Jamaica, to St. Anne. He opened up what they called a chinny store, which is a bodega in New York City terms. And they worked the sugarcane plantations until 
um, after slavery ended, they saved their money, they opened up these stores. My grandfather and his brother came from that, that same route from Shenzhen to St. Anne, Jamaica. And I did the ancestry DNA test and maybe four or five months later, I remember I was driving. You're not supposed to do this, don't ever do this. I looked at my phone, there was an ancestry hint about my grandfather. I immediately pulled over, I emailed this person, his great-grandfather and my grandfather were brothers and he had his great-grandfather's death certificate which listed his birthplace. And through that, I was able to connect with a city where my grandfather was born. That same person, his father was in Hong Kong doing business and heard the whole story and traveled to Shenzhen and spoke to the people in, I'm not gonna say it right, but Pinghu. And they were able to tell my distant uncle where our relatives lived. Wow. I could not believe it. He um, saw in a Japu, which is all our Chinese ancestors, which dated back 2000 years, there was a picture of my grandfather. And honestly, the only reason why I wanted to do this was my mom had never seen a picture of her father. She had, she, had, she had no idea what he looked like. He left the family and I don't really get into why he left or how this happened, but he left, the, he left my grandmother with 13 children and went back to China. And my mom was the 13th child. So she never saw a picture of her dad. She never knew anything about him. So I was saying in my mind, I just wanna show my mom a picture. I just wanna show my mom a picture. You know, that wasn't good enough. <laughs> No, picture wasn't go good there, enough. Yeah. <laughs> we have to go there. We have to meet these people. You know, for a long time, I mean, I, I knew my ancestors were from Jamaica, but I also knew, you know, that there was there was more to the story than, right. than Jamaica. They, you know, it, it didn't end in Jamaica. It didn't begin in Jamaica. Right. So I spoke to Kyle about it. I kept doing the research and I said, come on. A trip like this, I mean, of course, you, you have to have the funds for it. It's, it's you know, it's, it's, nothing, it's nothing where you're just going to go to Shenzhen yeah. and not speak the language and not have translators and not have, right. you know, your logistics worked out. So I was fortunate enough at the time to work with Acorn Entertainment, who had heard the story from um, Kyle's agent. And when I tell you, Wendy, they did everything from the time we got off the plane till the time we went to the house that my grandfather was born in and all along the way took such good care of us. Yeah. My relatives speak Hakka and we had a Mandarin translator so that we could speak to them in Hakka. Right. And it, it was it was truly amazing. It was it was unbelievable. We we saw basketball games where Kyle was um, awarded a jersey from the other Chinese team right. and they were so welcoming they, they were so welcoming to us I of course was nervous because I was like you know like I'm half black I don't understand if they're going to accept us right. you know maybe you know maybe they'll feel like we're, I'm not really a relative of theirs yeah. 
but that that's not what happened. They they were they were just the most loving people, and beautiful homes. They 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 owned the village, and it was literally my grandfather's sons, four sons that I met, and they cried more than I did oh, about the beautiful. experience. That is beautiful, and for them also, you know, mm-hmm. it's nice for them to meet you and then to meet your son. And And all the, the children had the phones. So they, you know, they were all on Instagram. And so like the whole village came out to me, Kyle, you know, the the whole, the whole, they were so honored to have him there. And it like, again, like he, he just said, like, I I never felt so welcome in all my life. Yes. I actually saw a picture of, um, of the, the, the Jersey swap which I thought was just, mm-hmm. <laughs> was beautiful. I was like, this is amazing. You know what I mean? Like he's yeah. learning more about his, you know I mean? His heritage and where he's from and learning about his family. So that is, makes me wonder, do you think sometime in the future he would maybe do a camp or some sort of, I don't know, event or in China? We wanted to go back, of course, because of the pandemic, we couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, we definitely wanted to go back last year. Um, and, you know, that didn't work out. We're hoping, we're definitely hoping to come back. The nice thing is that we speak to our relatives. Now Kyle has a Weibo account. And you know, you can say that a lot of um, professional athletes, you know, go to China, but Kyle's actually from China, you know, so that's the difference. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) He's actually, he's actually from China. Yeah. So it was, it, it was, I'll say I'm a lot more settled about it. And I, I feel that my whole family is a lot more settled about it. I no longer have to say, well, I don't really know where I'm from in China. You yeah. know, like I, I can pinpoint the city, the street and the house number and say, <laughs> this is where I'm from. This is where my grandfather was born. So speaking of family, Kyle is so proud of his heritage. How do you see him now raising a child of his own? Like, can you believe he's a dad? No. <laughs> No, I can't. I can't. Um, and the funny thing is that Cam has a lot of his characteristics because I, I posted on Instagram the other day where Cam was sitting down and he was throwing the ball overhead to try to make the basket, yeah. you know, and he watches his dad. He watches all the basketball games. This is how this is how funny it is. My granddaughter, um, who's 11, plays in an AAU tournament. And because of the pandemic, we get to live stream. Right. And he's sitting there watching the live stream game, which is just awful. (laughs) There's no sound. It's all fuzzy. And he's sitting there watching it. But when he sees his dad on TV at 13 months, he's so excited. It's unbelievable. And I said, this is Kyle. This is Kyle when I took him to see Michael Jordan versus the Knicks. Yeah, Yeah. he's like, you know, mm -hmm. you guys are developing Mm -hmm. a mini spur. (laughs) (laughs) that's all that is (laughs) there's nothing wrong with that so so he get i see him on tv he gets he gets to go to the games yes which is fantastic um crystal cam's mom had um cam a little bit earlier that was i don't think cam wanted to be in that stomach anymore you know he, he was a big child so um we had gone down for her baby shower and I remember she, you know, she wasn't, she was uncomfortable and she ended up having him like four days later. He was due the end. He was due the middle of March 
and he came the at the beginning of February, the middle of February. Mm-hmm. So he was almost six six to seven weeks earlier. Right. But um, he he he's Kyle. Just he he's such a great father, Aww. you know. And you know, like I had the conversation with him, you know, where I said, you know, sometimes it's better to have a child after the MBA because you get to spend more time. And, and he said no. He said no. He says this is it, ma. Absolutely. This was my push. This was my drive to yep. be better. Yep. No, to be a better player, ready. to be a better person. That's mm-hmm. it. He felt he was ready. So mm-hmm. I have to ask that in a world that is more divided than ever, with so much mm-hmm. racial inequality, how is Kyle mm-hmm. leading as a father? You know, I, I turned on the news this morning and I literally had to go outside to my garden because I was just I was just so sick of everything that was coming on, you know, between the different trials that are happening and the 13 year old that was mm-hmm. that was shot and killed last night and yeah. the Asian hate you know I mean it, it's just overwhelming I remember though uh, my grandmother telling me when I was young and I, I tell myself this all the time know who you are know who you are inside and everyone will know who you are and when she told me that I was like what you know what kind of nonsense is yeah. that uh, you know what are you talking about grandma yeah and now it makes so it makes so much sense to me. Know who you are. And I tell my children and I tell my grandchildren and definitely Cam will know. Like we're the future. You know, th- this is how America is going to look. Take it or leave it. You know, the people come together, they fall in love, they have children. Nobody's checking off boxes about what race or nationality you're from. You know, th- they couldn't possibly have enough boxes checked for the children that are being born in this day and age you know accept it this is america now just one box and human that's mm -hmm. it we are the human race exactly and 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 that's how i feel about it and you cannot show me one person in america that is of one nationality i i I don't believe it because our our blood is mixed yeah well that's all we can do together with everybody together. Just hope and pray that all this just eventually succeeds, right? Because enough is enough at this point, right? Enough, it, enough is truly enough. It, yeah. it just, it's horrible. It's just yeah. absolutely horrible. It is. It's, it's sad. And I, I do think that the next generation is going to be better with it than we were. Absolutely. Because I find the millennials now aren't standing for it. Mm-hmm. right you know what I mean mm-hmm. so they're like well hold on a second what's going on here no we're going to make sure that this doesn't continue in the future right so they're going to keep fighting and, a- and fighting and fighting I mean not only everybody's fighting for it right but I always tip my hat to millennials because they have so much fight in them mm-hmm. and they're just no, definitely. standing on that front line and they're like listen this is what we're going to do and we're not taking this anymore and it's not going to end until it ends you know what I mean until it's done like when it's you know what I mean? Racial inequality, enough. We're done. Like, we're right. just, you accept us for who we are, and that's it. I don't like, you know, when people condemn the NBA or the NFL or, you know, whoever um, for taking a stand with this. Yeah. But again, this yeah. enough is enough. Yeah. You know, th- this cannot keep going on. We can't have a basketball game in a city where a, a person was just murdered and act like everything's okay. The, the social injustice platform, you know, the, the professional teams have to take a stand. Absolutely. I mean, this is not new stuff. The only difference now is that now it's there. People are mm-hmm. showing it where before it would happen and you would hear about it, but now it's all in the forefront, right? So 
I'm, I was so happy to see the athletes take a stand, such a stand, and just say, you know what, we're done. We're not doing this. Uh, it was actually, um, yeah, it was my son, he played uh, for the Magic at, um, at the time, and um, in the bubble, mm-hmm. the Milwaukee Bucks walked off the court, or they didn't come out the locker room, and it was during that game, right. it was Magic versus um, the Bucks. And I remember asking him so many questions that day. Well, what happened? What was going on with the players? You know what I mean? What was going through you guys' minds? Did you guys talk about it in the locker room? And it was just like at one point they were done. They were just like, listen, we have to do something. Our voices need to be heard. Because it's one thing just complaining about it. But there's one thing when you're going to stand up and say, you know what? We're not going to continue doing. We're not going to continue playing. And that was a way for them, in my mind, to get the organization behind them. You know what I mean? And it worked. It works, and they have to yes. start somewhere. So I'm happy that the players used their platform because that's important. So it's and I, I feel like I've had to stand up. I feel like I've had to stand up and say, you know, like no, we're not going to shut up and dribble. No, we're not going to just act like none of this is happening. No, and yeah. and you know, I I had of course like everyone else, I had people on social media that wanted to say, oh, you know, these athletes are clowns. You know, they should just play. No. That's yeah. not how it's going to be. You know, we're, we're going to take a stand. Yeah. No, I, I, just, I love how, especially for you, because, you know, I look at you and you're a woman who's, you know, you're, you're, you're a minority, you know, you're, you're Chinese in you and you have, you know, and you're black. So it's like, it's, it's fantastic because for you, I can only see this resonating really hard for you because it's like both sides. You know what I mean? You, right. you have this right. hatred, you know what I mean? People look at you and it's like, I don't want to say you, but you know what I mean? Like, you know, people look at you and, and, and the public can see you as as a threat or as a bother. Why? Because of your, the color of your beautiful skin. And it's just ridiculous. I'm also pretty vocal, too. You know, I'm uh, really obnoxious about that. So. No, it's not obnoxious. It's, you know what I mean? You're standing up for, you're human. You're, like, mm-hmm. you're human and you're standing up for who you are. So good for you. Good for you. Thank and I, you. Moving forward, all we can do is pray, right? And just hope that this all mm-hmm. eventually um, just stops. And again, I would like, I would like to see my, um, my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren not have to go through this hatred. Uh, you know, we've endured it for a number of years, but enough is enough. Yeah. Yeah. So on a positive note, <laughs> after four years with the Spurs, um, Kyle later signed on with the Memphis Grizzlies as a restricted free agent, he had the ability mm-hmm. to choose his future and select the team that he saw the best opportunity for him. So why Memphis? You know, I remember um, the weekend that we were trying to decide, you know, like where our future was. And Kyle said, um, I'm going to go home to New Jersey. I said, you know what, Kyle, let's pack up the house and go home to New Jersey. Cause I kind of felt like our days in San Antonio were ending right. and I, and you can appreciate this, Wendy, I did not want to have to come back to San Antonio a few months later and pack up the house <laughs> myself. <laughs> so I said, even if we resign with San Antonio, you know, we'll find a nicer house and we'll come back. But I said, let's just, let's just go. Let's just take everything with us. Did you take your and I, Yes. <laughs> just asking yeah so now we have like this huge you know like five bedroom house and it's like a Friday night and Kyle's like all right I'll see you later and I'm like okay so you know I called the moving company and you know we're back in New Jersey so I'm a little nervous but not 
you know, like I kind of feel like, again, everything's going to work out because Kyle has, has willed this for himself. And Kyle, I think was, he was on the beach in Point Pleasant and he got the phone call. Wow. And he's, he, I, I think he sat back for a minute mm -hmm. and, you know, absorbed all of it. Absolutely. And then, uh, you know, probably called me maybe two hours later or something. And it, it was a dream. It was a dream come true. You know, it was, it was financial freedom. It was an opportunity to play for a young team with a great coach. It, it was everything. We already had our plans to go to China, you know, like in the works. So for him to be able to sign this contract and then go off to China and then come back and move to Memphis. I mean, what, what, it, it, it was the best of everything. So he's really coming into his own with the Grizzlies having a career year. Mm -hmm. What can you attribute yes. his continued growth to? Um, he had thoracic outlook syndrome. So he had to have surgery in April of 2019. Okay. And um, as a mom, you can definitely understand, like they took out his rib, you know, <laughs> I don't care what anybody else said. Like that was a huge thing for me. Um, we, his dad and I were in Dallas and the surgery was supposed to be three or four hours and it was five or six. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you look at your son in the hospital bed and you think this might be it. Yeah. Like he may not recuperate from this, you know, th th like this, this could be it for him. Yeah. So many, so many young athletes, you know, have had these injuries and not come back from them. And we were kind of watching Marcel Foots because he had the same injury and the same surgery, yeah. you know, and again, you know, Kyle said, no, I'm going to recuperate. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back. I remember he was laying in his hospital bed and coach Popovich called and, and had some good words and kind of raised his spirits. Yeah. I went out, I left the hospital room and I went to get something to eat and I came back and he's hooking up his PlayStation and I'm like, oh yeah, we're good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're good here. You know, we got the NBA going, the NBA 2K going, yeah. he's hooking up the PlayStation, you know, we're, we're good here. He knew what he had um, to do to get better and run away. Right. So, <laughs> and he went out to LA and he had wonderful care out there. He had a great shooting coach. You know, he had to basically learn how to shoot right. all over again with the injury. And he was not supposed to play. He was not going to play the, the next season, right. you know, until he recovered and he started with the team, like, you know, right away. He, he, so this year we see the benefits of the surgery. Right. We, right. we see, we definitely see, um, he's no longer in pain. He no longer, like he had a tingling sensation in his hand and that's gone now. Okay. So the surgery was important, but it was, it was more important that he felt healthy Absolutely. and confident. Well, sure. That was the Kyle that we were missing. So let's talk about his on-court name, nickname, Slow-Mo. <laughs> Where did that come from? So there's a lot of people that want to take uh, responsibility for this, you know, but he was in Dallas and I'm not going to remember the name of the team. It's probably better anyway, but uh, <laughs> it was an AAU team. And they were like, he's so slow. Like he plays so slow. He's so slow. So they just started calling him slow-mo. Um, the Spurs weren't a big fan of the nickname slow-mo because of course in the NBA, everyone's fast yeah. and you know, you, you, you got to move fast, but 
he's methodical with his movements and he kind of lulls the defense to sleep when he's making his plays. We became an LLC under the name slow-mo and it's been, it's, it's been good for him. It's, it's catchy, not something you want to hear in the NBA. You know, his his name isn't, you know, I absolutely love it. I mean, I really do. To me, he plays the game at his own pace. He doesn't allow Mm -hmm. others to dictate the way he Mm -hmm. plays. He's always in control, Mm -hmm. even if it's in slow motion. So, (laughs) (laughs) and I come from an era where slow motion is good. So, I I mean, I didn't, I didn't understand. But now, you know, now it's team slow mo, and it's recognized. You know, because we have so many people, um, you know, behind us. We, we have a um, an LLC, and we support teenage suicide prevention and depression and from that team slow-mo you know we donate a lot of money to an organization called erica's lighthouse that goes into the schools to try to address teen suicide all based on um unfortunately a childhood friend of kyle's paul kim who should have been here with us on this journey and um, took his life, Kyle's first year in the NBA. Right. So that's why so, he did the clinic, the Celebrate Life Day. Yes, yes. yes. We also do a lot of things now, like um, during the pandemic, we had a food drive and, um, we, you know, we, we do other things besides the clinic. But um, Celebrate Life Day is um, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how bad you think it is, no, no matter how bad you think your future looks, we want you here. We need you. Yeah. We're celebrating you. And we try to instill that in the children that come to us. And I mean, of course, you know, like we're, we're in a, a middle-class um, neighborhood, but there are children that are at risk. Yeah. We want to reach them. We, yeah. We're going to give you Kyle. Kyle's going to come to the games. We have great coaches. We have coaches that fly in from all across America, w- women coaches. You know, we use local refs. You're important to us. Yeah. You know, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to give you a good day, but we're going to be with you the, the next year and the year after that. We weren't expecting the pandemic, but this would have been our seventh year. Well, as a parent, you know, I guess to say thank you because that's a beautiful platform that mm-hmm. you and your family are donating to. It really is. It's such a great, great cause. Um, a lot of players do give back to the communities for various reasons, but I mm-hmm. love that you're giving back to help um, teenagers against um, depression and suicide. So I think it's a beautiful platform. It was so personal to us. I yeah. mean, I think a lot of athletes right. will choose something to, Absolutely. you know, to, for a cause, for sure. but we, we were unfortunately handed one. Right, right. And, we're, we're very, you know, it, it means so much to my family. Right. And you're doing it means, it, it means everything. Yes. I just love the fact that you're doing something with it and you're doing something for it to help. So I think mm-hmm. that's, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. So, and we wish, we wish we would have known the symptoms of Paul. Yeah. And now I think like in 2021, it's more talked yeah. about yeah. than it was back then. Absolutely. So tell me what's next for Kyle and what do you see him doing when uh, the ball stops bouncing? Um, I think, you know, because Kyle is slow-mo, 
you know, he's, um, he's probably not the most athletic person on the court. So his body has been kind to him. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think he's got a few more years, you know, in the league and, you know, we'll see. I think Kyle would be a great coach no matter where he went. You know, he, he I remember coach Popovich saying, well, we're just going to do whatever Kyle wants us to do Yeah. <laughs> because he, you know, he's, he has very, very high court IQ. So I think he would be a great coach. And I'm not talking about the NBA or college or anything like that. You know, wherever he decides to find his niche, I know he's going to be successful with it. He can relate. He can relate to the kids. He's the youngest of five. So the kids love him because yeah. he's a big kid. But I also think, you know, what, wherever he decides to coach, I think he'll be really good at it. Absolutely. Hey, maybe one day he will be coaching Cam, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's a, That's another podcast though because like I said his dad coached him and I remember it was it was difficult it was difficult I remember seeing like the cell phone on the kitchen table and him downstairs in the basement and I'd be like hmm he's like I'm not answering my phone today (laughs) (laughs) or a look like if he didn't play well in a high school game he would give me that look and that meant I'm going home with you, yep, not yep, my dad. Yeah, yeah. He's like, let's go, mom. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's learn some fun facts about Kyle. Mm-hmm. What is that go-to dish that you make that he oh. just absolutely has to have? When macaroni and cheese. Yes. <laughs> macaroni and definitely macaroni and cheese. That's been his favorite for a while. It's kind of, you know, like it's kind of everyone's favorite, yeah. but it's definitely his favorite. I can only imagine. I'm trying to think how many players, how many moms has said that answer. I have to look, <laughs> I am going to look that up because that's very interesting. It just seems like all of our boys love macaroni and cheese. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's not anything, you know, extravagant, yeah. but it, it's definitely something that warms his heart right right. that's that's how I feel about it I remember him when he was out at UCLA and he was like it just wasn't the same (laughs) it just wasn't the same no mom's mac and cheese is what that's where it's at so so well it's it's cooked with love of course right thank you it's not the same like nobody in the dorm makes it with love they just slam it in the pot and keep it moving so (laughs) what was one item as a child other than a basketball that Kyle couldn't live without his PlayStation. Yeah. Definitely his PlayStation. Yeah. That, 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 like, I was like, Kyle, what is in here? My PlayStation. It went everywhere with him. Yeah. Yeah. I can, that, yeah. yeah. Or a tennis ball, right? When he was a baby. So, <laughs> so the tennis ball yeah. when he was a baby, yeah. definitely the tennis ball. Um, you know, of, of course, the basketball. I remember him one, one day, like holding the basketball up to his nose and saying, This smells so good. And I'm like, There's something <laughs> wrong with you. <laughs> You did say you took him to the pediatrician wondering what is wrong yeah. something about basketball. So, yes, I was concerned. So did he have a childhood nickname? And if so, what was it? Like was it slow-mo or was that after the fact? No, his childhood nickname was Applehead. Oh <laughs> love it. Because he had this huge head <laughs> and these great big ears. And I remember we were at a park one time and the little girl said, why are his ears on backwards? (laughs) I said, what? And of course, 
I'm thinking, does he need surgery? You know, like what's going on <laughs> here? Doctor. <laughs> Only for me to realize that he was going to grow into the head yeah. and that your ears never really grow. They're the same size when you're born, right. when you die, they're the same exact size. So I didn't realize, you know, that he was eventually going to grow into this. I have a big head and like, I knew that, but I didn't realize that he was going to have a big head when he was four and not have a big head when he was 20 because yeah. he had grown into it. <laughs> so he was definitely apple head. <laughs> I love that. Oh my gosh, that's cute. What advice would you give to a courtside mom who doesn't agree with the coaching decision? Uh, uh, coming from the wife of a coach and the many coaches that I've met on this journey. This is what I tell people. Find a really, really good coach. Do your research. Speak to other people and surrender your child. That's, that's my advice. Surrender your child. Because the moment you start talking bad about the coach, whether to your child or whether your child overhears it or you know, it's, it's hearsay in the household, things go left. And I take pride. I'm not bragging about this, but I take pride. A lot of people have said you were one of the best moms we ever had because I'm not going to, I'm not going to say anything bad about the coach. I don't care what kind of mood you're in Kyle. I don't care if you lost by 30. I don't care. Like I'm going to stick with the coach because I, I know this coach and I know he wants the best for you. And of course, you know, there are times when, you know, we were in some AAU programs that were not funded. You know, we had a lot of financial problems, but I said, we're not jumping ship because we don't have money. We don't, we're not jumping ship because they're not giving you sneakers. We're not jumping ship because we're taking a van to Virginia beach. You know, we're going to stick this out. And I think that perseverance taught Kyle a lot of lessons in life about, you know, like believe, believe in your coaches. Yeah. Yeah. And we won, we won a lot of um, like Kyle, when he was 12, he won a national championship. When he was 10, he won a national championship. You know, like I could, I could go on and on and on. These were, these were working men with families, you know, they, they, they weren't on the college level, but you know, they, they believed and had a program that was responsible. So do your research and don't talk bad about the coach Absolutely. and don't quit. Stick, stick yeah, with that stick team. With it. Stick with it mm-hmm. because you know what, there's going to be a lot of adversities in everything we do, right? You just have to learn how to, how to deal with that challenge. And throughout your whole life, Absolutely. throughout your whole life, Absolutely. in the workplace, in Fix the MBA. It. Yep. Fix the problem and move forward. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what advice would you give to a player on how to deal with a tough teammate? Another lesson that I learned in San Antonio, and it was probably a conversation because Kyle and I, you know, driving back and forth from Austin, we had a lot of time to chat about these things. Unless you're in practice with an NBA player, and I, I, I believe this is true for most sports, these people work incredibly hard, incredibly hard. The human spirit that drives them to be professional athletes if you're not exposed to that and you don't see it, you're really in no position to tell anyone that they're not good or not great yeah. or they have an attitude. Because again, these people work so hard. Yeah. And um, 
like I was reading, I was reading on social media the other day about one of the teammates on the Grizzlies and like, I just love the way that his team defended him, you know, and said, we lost as a team. We play together. We, right. we lost as a team that he didn't lose the game. We lost as a team. Yeah. So I, I bring that into like a difficult player. Kyle probably had some difficult um, players who wanted him to be better as a person and, and as a, as a player, but it was for a good reason. Yeah. It, it was always, it was always for a good reason. So um, again, take their advice and be better. Yeah. And last question. If you mm-hmm. had one piece of advice for another courtside mom, what would that be? Do this. Be, 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 be with Wendy Sparks and, <laughs> and say what you need to say. I always say Maya Angelou had the best line. There's, there's no greater pain than an untold story. We have stories. We were there. We were there at the beginning. You know, hopefully we'll be there you know, long afterwards when, uh, when I'm raising Kyle's grandchildren, tell your story because it's a wonderful story. Little ballers was a wonderful story. You know, um, these children, they're they're so innocent and they want this so badly. And when your child goes to the NBA and follows his dream, it's your dream too. For sure. Like, I think mm-hmm. this is going to be something that you and Cam will be talking about one day, just driving down the street, and you're going to be yes. able to tell him his dad's story and where it all began as you're driving him, Grandma, to his basketball practice, right? Yeah. <laughs> when he's going to be yes. like dad and he's five years old and he made his first three point shot. That's going to be you mm-hmm. with it. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell Cam, like, I don't think, you know, like Kyle, Kyle would have one point after we drove like 60 miles and I'm like look you at least have to make as many baskets as it costs me to get here (laughs) oh that's the best gas is expensive yeah (laughs) I said the toll is 15 dollars you have to at least make 15 baskets (laughs) that's good advice right there I like that that's advice you're gonna have to tell everybody I love it I love it yeah that's something we're gonna have to post I love it Suzanne, oh my gosh, this was fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on Courtside Moms and and sharing your story and Kyle's story because it's so important for everybody to know your role as mom and what you did and what you contributed to to get your son to the pros because obviously they cannot do it by themselves. They just can't. Nobody can, right? We need our community and like you said, nobody can take care better of than a player than their moms Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> i agree with that yes well thank you for coming on courtside moms thank you thank you for having me absolutely Do it naturally. Whoa, whoa.